We're going to be looking together this morning at the book of Matthew, and we'll get to that in just a second. You'll find it printed in your bulletin. But there's a phrase that's resurfaced in the past week uh, that you may have heard. It's, don't let a good crisis go to waste. It's been attributed to political figures like Winston Churchill and Rahm Emanuel, and when it's used in a political context, it means something along the lines of, a crisis is a good opportunity to advance a political agenda that in most circumstances you wouldn't be able to advance. The phrase has also been used by doctors to tell sick patients, hey, this is something of a wake-up call. You might want to take this opportunity to, to eat a little better and to get in, in better shape. It's also been used in the business world to say, hey, look, this is just a chance to make big changes in the way that you do business. We are obviously in a bit of a crisis. And so what I want to ask us this morning is, how can we avoid wasting this crisis? And to get at that, I want to look, um, I want to read a section from a book called John Calvin's Golden Booklet of the Christian Life. I don't read to you guys from Calvin very often. You should probably be thankful uh, of that. But but th this is something I actually happened to be reading the day after 9-11. And thought it was relevant then, and I think it's relevant now as well. So let me read this to us. Our Lord was not compelled to bear the cross except to show and prove his obedience to his Father. But there are many reasons why we should live under a continual cross. First, whereas we are naturally prone to attribute everything to our human flesh, unless we have, as it were, object lessons of our stupidity, we easily form an exaggerated notion of our strength, and we take for granted that whatever hardships may happen, we will remain invincible. And so we become puffed up with a foolish, vain, and carnal confidence, which arouses us to become haughty and proud towards God, as if our own power would be sufficient without his grace. This vanity he cannot better repress than by proving to us from experience not only our folly, but also our extreme frailty. Therefore, he afflicts us with humiliation or poverty or loss of relatives or disease or other calamities. Then, because we are unable to bear them, we soon are buried under them. And so, being humbled, we learn to call upon his strength, which alone makes us stand up under such a load of afflictions. Y'all, this crisis is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and to call upon his strength. Well, how do we do that? How do we humble ourselves and call upon his strength. God has actually given us a way to do that, and it's called fasting. And we're going to think about that this morning. So let's look at his word. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. This is God's word. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We pray for us. Father, would you uh, help me now to uh, speak and preach clearly? And tomorrow, Father, would you bless this word as it goes out? Would you bless it in our hearts? 
Would you use it to, to humble us and change us and to help us to seek your face? What I hope is that you would respond as we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask this morning four things. Number one, what is fasting? Number two, what is the purpose and reward of fasting? Thirdly, what are the dangers of fasting? And finally, why don't we fast? But first of all, what is fasting? There are a lot of different types of fasting. There's political fasting. There's religious fasting. There's fasting for health reasons. But what we're talking about this morning as we look at this from the Christian point of view is fasting as the abstaining from food, usually for a period of 24 hours, in order to seek God by meditating on his word and praying. You take time that you would normally devote to eating and you devote that to prayer. Now, I don't know what your experience with fasting is or what you may have been taught about it, but for whatever reason, fasting doesn't usually get talked about a whole lot. We don't really understand it. My earliest memory of hearing about fasting was when I went to church when I was five or six years old, and the preacher talked about fasting that day, and we came back home, and, and I don't remember whether we ate lunch or not, but I do remember thinking that voluntarily missing a meal has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I still largely feel that same way. Now, my next memory of fasting was when I was in college and the campus ministry I was involved in at that time had a day of fasting and prayer for their discipleship groups. And we uh, went into these empty churches and went in a room by ourselves and we were supposed to, to pray for two hours. I mean, thank goodness there wasn't a smartphone, or, or maybe I wish there had been a smartphone. But anyway, that, that, was, that was like a really hard thing to do. The next time I remember thinking about fasting was in seminary, but it was, it was more in the context of hearing about these guys who had fasted for 40 days, not Jesus, but, but people of our day who had fasted for 40 days. And I remember thinking, they are crazy, um, and I don't think they're supposed to be telling people they did that anyway. Then in 2007, the next time I thought about fasting, I was going through a rough time spiritually and emotionally. I was dealing with some health problems. And about that time, I, I picked up um, one of the books of one of my favorite seminary professors, Dr. Douglas Kelly. And toward the back of that book, he starts talking about fasting. It's called, if God Already Knows Why I Pray. This is what he says. A pastor in South Carolina who was encountering some opposition to the word decided he would combat the evident work of the evil one, not only by prayer, but also by regular fasting. He and his wife noticed that very day, or within a few days of his fast, the same thing would always happen. There would be a knock on the door of his office, and someone would come in to tell how God had either just saved them or worked very significantly in their life. This happened too often to be a coincidence. And then he talked about how this pastor's son was giving them discipline problems and so they prayed and fasted, and he writes, That night, for the first time in weeks, they felt they had seen a significant change in his attitude and toward the things of the Lord. They had discovered almost by accident the fact that closely related to this matter of wrestling and prayer is the discipline of fasting. And you know, I was at one of those places in my life where I thought, something has got to give, and so let's give this a shot. And I think... That was probably the first time I willingly fasted in my entire life. And amazingly, starting that day uh, with a conversation that I had, God started parting the dark clouds in my life. And it started with him working in my soul and where I was spiritually that time and really drawing me to a place where I wanted to, to seek after him and know him. 
And since then, since then it's become more of a, a regular, not as regular as I would like, but a more regular part of my life. Now, some of you are thinking right now, should he really be even telling us that? And, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But, 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 but first, let's talk about the purpose of fasting and the reward of fasting. Fasting is about you and me realizing how helpless we are to do life on our own. It's a way of us crying out to God and saying, God, I need your presence in my life. I need you to show up in all your glory and work because I'm helpless. It's not something that we take pride in, but it's the cry of someone who realizes their own inability, who realizes their own helplessness. Let me, let me read for us. Let's look at a, the, the other text that you have there in your bulletin. The first is from 2 Chronicles. And this is when God's people are actually under attack. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. Then in verse 14, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. And the people who had been attacking God's people actually turned and started attacking each other and they destroyed each other. And it takes God's people three days to gather all the spoils from that. Ezra chapter eight, then I proclaimed a fast there in the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God to do this, and he listened to our entreaty. You see, fasting is this humble dependence on God. Matthew 9, then the disciples of Jesus came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now there were in the church at Antioch, this is from Acts 13, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius, of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I mean, do you hear, do you see what's going on here? Father in heaven, we need you to work. We need you to act. We are helpless. We are under attack. We need the presence of Jesus. We need wisdom. We need you to change people's lives. I need you to change my life and change my heart because I can't change it myself. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration where he's met with Elijah and Moses and finds that his disciples have been unable to help a child who is 
uh, been tormented by an evil spirit. They aren't able to cast out the evil spirit. And Jesus comes and he casts out the evil spirit like it's no big deal. And later the disciples come to him and they say, well, what was that all about? And he said, this kind can come out only by fasting and prayer. Dr. Kelly again, fasting is a way of bringing the powerful Christ down from the mountain of glory into our valley of helplessness to do the work we cannot accomplish. But we must keep this in mind. In proper fasting, the emphasis is never on our merits or our personal feelings as we fast. Rather, we should be solely concerned with the presence of the risen Christ. The stress should be on God's presence and glory and not at all on ourselves. Andrew Murray, he goes on to say, says that prayer and fasting are like two hands. When we pray, it is as though we are reaching out and putting one hand on the mercy seat, the place that symbolized God's forgiving presence on the Ark of the Covenant. But when we fast, we take the other hand off the legitimate things of this world and cast all earthly supports aside to put both hands on the mercy seat. Lord Jesus, would you... Fill this situation in my life with your presence. Would you work? Would you provide for our needs? Would you deliver us from evil? Would you stop the spread of this disease? Would you draw people to yourself and build your kingdom? And here it's often as God's people wrestle in prayer and persevere and fast and take hold of the mercy seat with both hands that our God acts because it really does bring him glory to act in these situations where we can't claim any of the credit, but he simply mercifully and powerfully acts on behalf of his people. 1756, the French were threatening to invade, so the king of Britain called for a day of prayer and fasting. John Wesley wrote this in his journal. The fast day was a glorious day such as London had scarce seen since the Reformation. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. Wesley later added, Humility was turned into national rejoicing, for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. And so sometimes the reward of fasting is that we get to see God act in this amazingly powerful way for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. But I think there's something else going on as well. When we are desperately crying out to God to change the situation, God meets us and he says, you know, what you really need, whether I change this situation or not, is to know me. John Piper writes, the reward we are to seek from the Father is not first or mainly the gifts of God, but God himself. See, the, the reward of fasting is a renewed knowledge of the Father. It's a new taste for the things of God that loosens the grip that the things of this world have on us. Piper says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. Not poison, but apple pie. Fasting helps us to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think I need all these things. But in reality, Jesus is the bread of life that I desperately need. There's an appetite rewiring that goes on as we fast. God sanctifies us through fasting. God shows us our hearts through fasting. Richard Foster has written, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us, 
we cover up what's inside us with food and other things. Think about what he's saying there for a minute. All of us, even the, the skinny people, tend to self-medicate with food. Food helps us deal with the boredom. Food, boredom. food helps us escape from the pain in the world around us. Fasting exposes the way we do that. Foster writes, if pride controls me, it will be revealed in fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear will surface during fasting. At first we say we're angry because we're hungry, but then we realize we're angry because we're angry. I'm angry, impatient, restless, but I'm covering it up with food. We rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. When fasting exposes your heart, when fasting shows you your sin, that actually leads you back to the gospel. Even when I'm trying to do this religious activity, my sin shows up in the middle of that, but the blood of Jesus is bigger than my sin. Even in fasting, I'm reminded that I need Jesus and that he is mine. Well, that's the purpose and the result. What are some of the dangers of fasting? One of the dangers is that we can just do it to be seen by other people. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6, where he cautions us not to, to, to try not to draw attention to yourself when you're fasting. And that doesn't mean that you can't let anybody know you're fasting, because earlier in that same chapter, Jesus is talking about prayer. And he says, when you, go, when you pray, go into your room and, and shut, shut the door and do that in secret. That's between you and God. But Jesus is also known to pray in public. And so the point is, don't do these religious activities where it's prayer, whether it's prayer or fasting, whatever it is, don't do those in order to be seen. Don't do it to be religious. What you're doing is between you and God. And so as much as you're able, keep it to yourself. Go about your normal day. But if somebody says, do you want to grab lunch? You don't have to be scared that you can't say, no, I'm fasting because you're going to break the spell somehow. And, oh, you told them you're fasting. It's not going to work now. No, you don't. It's okay. You can, you can tell them. <clears throat> Secondly, there's a danger that we think in doing this fasting thing, that's somehow just going to appease God, make God happy, even as we fail to actually examine our hearts and make any changes in our lives, even as we fail to practice repentance where that is needed. It's not printed for you, but I want to read from Isaiah 58, and I'm not going to comment most much on this. But the caption here even is, is interesting, true and false fasting. Listen to this. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Would you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, 
to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Fasting that's nothing but an empty religious ritual. Fasting that doesn't lead us to examine our hearts and to repent where we need to repent is a very dangerous kind of fasting. So why don't we fast? Why don't we fast? If, if God works in response to our fasting, if it actually brings us closer to him, why don't we? Well, one, let's be honest, food has a big grip over us. Two, we don't really understand it that well. We don't understand fasting that well. And I, I'd encourage you to, to pick up and read uh, A Hunger for God by John Piper or if, if God Already Knows Why Pray by Douglas Kelly. Three, we're cynical, right? Now, this, isn't, this doesn't work. God isn't paying attention to us. God's going to do whatever God's going to do, whether we fast or not. Paul Miller, in his book, The Praying Life, talks about going through a very cynical period in his life and the way he followed jesus out of cynicism he said was to do nothing but to pray psalm 23 for weeks and as he did that he said he learned to focus on the shepherd he said the cynic focuses on the darkness the child focuses on the shepherd can i suggest that maybe instead of checking the news over and over and over hitting refresh on the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, or whatever it is that you're hitting it on every day, as we're all prone to do, that it might be more helpful to read Psalm 23, to read Psalm 27, and to pray that over and over. Even when you, you know, when you can't think of anything else to pray, to take one of those psalms and to pray those to God and to keep your eye on the shepherd. Well, fourth reason we don't fast is that we're just comfortable. We don't need anything. And a fifth reason we don't fast, I think, is we don't fast because we don't think the presence of Jesus is what we need. Or the presence of Jesus isn't what we really want. <clears throat> you know, you can you can turn this off in a few minutes and like, fasting and prayer, oh, that's great. But the game is about to come on. And there's something really good to eat. Well, actually, the game is not coming on today. 
And so you do have some time you can pray. And, you know, the temptation is going to be the game's not there to distract us. Well, what else can I find to distract myself from the reality of this world that we live in instead of taking this time to actually seek God's face? I want to read from Calvin again on there twice in one sermon. Even the greatest saints, though realizing that they can only be strong in the grace of God and not in themselves, are nevertheless more sure than they ought to be of their own bravery and persistence, unless he leads them by the trials of life into a deeper knowledge of themselves. This proud idea induced even David to say, In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. For he confesses that prosperity had so stupefied and benumbed his senses that he disregarded the grace of God on which he should have depended, relied on himself instead, and imagined that he could not fall. If this happened to such a great prophet, who of us should not be fearful and cautious? Though in prosperity many saints have flattered themselves with perseverance and patience, let they learn that they had deceived themselves when adversity broke down their resistance. Warned by such evidence of their spiritual illness, believers profit by their humiliations. Robbed of their foolish confidence in the flesh, they take refuge in the grace of God. And when they have done so, they experience the nearness of the divine protection, which is to them a strong fortress. Don't waste this crisis. Don't waste this crisis. If we're not willing to fast and to pray and to seek God's face now, when exactly are we going to be willing to do that? And so the elders of our church would like to call us to a day of fasting uh, this Wednesday, the 25th. I, I, I consider you go about it this way. I suggest that you consider starting your fast after supper on Tuesday night and then ending your fast by eating supper on Wednesday evening. Now, you're, you're just missing two meals. If you want to just skip three on Wednesday, that's fine. You can do that the way you want to do. Uh, if for medical or other reasons you can't go that long without food, that's okay. Eat what you've got to eat or drink some juice or just try skipping one meal. But, but, but please, I encourage you to join us in seeking God's face. I think you know what we need to pray about. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us as a congregation, as a country, to seek your face? Um, Father, we do pray for your mercy. We do pray that you would remove this plague. We do pray that you would help us to get through this. Father, in the midst of this, we pray that you would help us to see our own sin, our own failure to love our neighbors, and I pray that you'd help us to repent, not only in word, but also in deed. And we pray this in Jesus' name.